This is ReachMD. The following episode in the series, Cracking the Code on Peanut Allergies, is brought to you through an independent educational grant from Amune Therapeutics. Here's your host, Dr. Jennifer Call. Since approximately 32 million Americans are living with a food allergy, more and more advocacy groups are working to advance the interests of this community and develop guidelines for healthcare professionals. And today, we'll be looking at the missions of these groups in detail and how they've impacted patients' lives. Welcome to Cracking the Code on Peanut Allergies on ReachMD. I'm your host, Dr. Jennifer Cottle, and joining me today are Dr. Ann Ellis, a professor and chair of the Division of Allergy and Immunology, and a clinician scientist at the Kingston General Hospital Research Institute in Kingston, Ontario, Canada, and George Dutois. Professor of Pediatric Allergy, King's College London, Evelina London Children's Hospital, Guy's and St. Thomas's NHS Trust. Dr. Ellis and Professor Dutois, welcome to you both. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. Thank you very much for having me. Absolutely. We're happy to have you both. So let's start with you, Dr. Ellis. Can you explain the role of advocacy groups for patients with food allergies? So the food allergy advocacy groups have multiple roles. They often work to increase patients' knowledge about food allergies and anaphylaxis. They help them to connect with other people who are living with life-threatening food allergies. They can help to enhance coping skills for patients either at risk for food allergy reactions or, again, caregivers of patients who have food allergies. And more importantly, I think, can advocate at a national level to try to create better policies and practices uh, nationally to protect people who are at risk for uh, food allergy-induced reactions. Excellent. And Professor Dutois, what's the overall mission of these groups? Well, there are many groups um, throughout the world, and their missions uh, generally are the same, and, and that is to support the allergy community. And, of course, there are many allergic diseases. Today we're focusing on, on food allergy. And the average journey... Um, for a, a family and indeed ultimately um, for the patient with food allergy is variable over time and the needs of these families um, vary enormously. So we know that m- most allergic children will start their journey with eczema when younger and, and there'll be various questions um, and, and a lot of support these societies would need to give um, to these families and patients at that stage. Soon thereafter, many, many of them would develop food allergy the food allergies would change over time. Some would be outgrown. Some will be grown into. And then, of course, in the background, there's asthma and hay fever. And many patients um, have more than just one allergic disease. And so the mission of these groups is generally to support these families over these um, very stressful times, particularly when these children begin um, nursery or creches, and then they go off to school, and then sleepovers and, and camps and tours and these are all very um, stressful time for families, and this is where these, these groups kick in. Excellent. And can you give us some examples of how they educate the community? Well, a very good example is uh, recently the um, adrenaline auto-injectors. So these are devices that carry adrenaline that patients would self-administer when, when old enough or the families would administer to them during, during anaphylaxis or, or moderate, at least moderate reactions. And there are various companies that make these products. And from time to time, there's either a, a shortfall in the products or a problem with, with product design and a recall. And this is extremely stressful for the community. And they often will turn to, to these advocacy groups 
asking um, various questions about safety and access to such products. Okay. And, you know, now I'd like to specifically talk about some popular advocacy groups like the Food Allergy and Anaphylaxis Connect Team, uh, Asthma and Allergy Patient Advocacy, and Food Allergy Research and Education. Uh, Can you give us some insight on these groups? Uh, Dr. Ellis, why don't we address this question to you and maybe talk about the resources they provide? Absolutely. So these are groups that do have a little bit of overlap in terms of uh, their missions and their goals and their visions for the types of advocacy they're trying to provide for for patients uh, suffering from food allergy. Um, Food Allergy and Anaphylaxis Connection Team, or FACT for short, again, really focuses on educating patients, advocating for patients, and raising awareness uh, for all individuals with families affected by food allergies. I mean, FAIR or Food Allergy Research and Education is also, again, a very patient-focused advocacy group, but adding to, again, the complementary overlap is they do uh, provide funding for a number of of, of research uh, programs. The Asthma and Allergy Foundation of America adds in to not only supporting patients with food allergy, but also those with anaphylaxis. Again, focusing on making sure that people get appropriate diagnosis, they have access to appropriate care, treatment, and management. Um, And because of the asthma components, they do look into things like outdoor and indoor air qualities, things like healthy homes, schools, and communities. Um, These are all excellent advocacy groups, very similar to the one near and dear to my heart, of course, which is Food Allergy Canada, um, which really works hard to provide a broad uh, support for patients with food allergy. And again, as I mentioned earlier, really lobbying at national and governmental levels to come up with better strategies, a national allergy strategy to, to help better support patients in our communities with food allergies. Excellent. In terms of specific resources, most of them have developed really nice anaphylaxis action plans, um, lots of resources that patients can call on uh, for specific guidance. Wonderful. And, you know, for those of you who are just tuning in, you're listening to Cracking the Code on Peanut Allergies on ReachMD. I'm your host, Dr. Jennifer Cottle, and today I'm speaking with Dr. Ann Ellis and Professor George Dutois about how advocacy groups are enhancing food allergy care. So now that we know more about the missions of these groups, I'd like to focus on the research side of things. Professor Dutois, what studies or clinical trials are currently being done by these groups to improve patient involvement in research? So for many patients, these are exciting times. So briefly looking at prevention, I'm I'm sure many of your listeners are aware that prevention guidelines have changed, at least um, with regards to peanut. So based on the LEAP study, the learning earlier about allergy to peanut, um, and some more recent studies, such as the EAT study, the Early Acquisition of Tolerance um, study, both done at our center at, at the Evelina at St. Thomas's Hospital, and many other studies looking at egg uh, throughout Europe and, and Australia and, and North America and Canada, have shown that the early introduction of peanut and egg is a far better strategy for the prevention of these allergies than avoidance. Focusing on treatment, there are many interesting trials. Uh, the, probably the trials that are, are now gaining the most attention are those um, concerning um, oral immunotherapy. So this is a very um, old concept, in fact, first published um, over 100 years ago, where small increments of the allergen, in the first case was described to egg, but most of the more recent studies, um, such as the Palisade um, study, and more recently the Artemis study, 
These are very large studies where peanut was given in increments to um, patients allergic to peanut, and and uh, we see a, a significant upturn in their tolerance, certainly enough to be able to keep them safe from everyday accidental exposure in those patients who responded to this. So that refers to the oral route. Sublingual immunotherapy, so this is where the allergen is put under your tongue and kept there for a while, as we often do with um, pollen immunotherapy, has also long been studied. With regards to diagnostics, unfortunately our allergic patients um, can only, for most of them, can only undergo skin prick testing and specific IgE testing. And whilst these are extremely helpful in certain settings and always after a detailed clinical history, they have limitations, particularly when, when there are low-level results. Excellent. Um, that's a very comprehensive answer and really helpful to go through the different types um, of, uh, of trials and things that are happening. Um, so turning to you now, Dr. Ellis, um, how can advocacy groups raise awareness of the services and resources they provide? Or is there perhaps something more we as healthcare professionals can be doing to raise awareness in addition? So all of these advocacy groups have an excellent online presence and social media uh, performance as a way to uh, connect with patients either through uh, Twitter or Facebook, and I think they, they do raise a lot of awareness through those sorts of online means, but I do believe that we as healthcare practitioners should be making sure that uh, we are communicating that these resources exist for our patients, all the way from the primary care provider who is suspecting a food allergy, all the way up to especially those of us who are specialists in this area and treat an awful lot of patients with food allergy. I know I certainly am always extending uh, the information about our local um, advocacy groups because they do provide so much ongoing support that we as physicians can't always provide. Again, they, they're, they're there all the time, whereas we have our, our general visits and our follow-up visits. Uh, so they're really a great uh, resource for our patients. Wonderful. And finally, before we wrap up, I'd really like to hear any takeaways that uh, you both might have. So how about we start with you, Dr. Ellis? I think one of the things that I've really appreciated from all of these various advocacy groups is, is what they've been able to accomplish to provide better protection for food allergic patients in North America, and at least on my side of the pond. Um, you know, getting access to stock epinephrine in schools was a huge uh, leap that probably wouldn't have been done if it weren't for the constant advocacy by groups like this. Um, as I mentioned, Food Allergy Canada has created a national food allergy strategy uh, to try to raise more awareness at the governmental level. We have really great uh, food labeling laws in Canada now, thanks to work from uh, Food Allergy Canada. And similarly, the groups in the U.S. are, are equally uh, really involved and engaged at the national level to try to create uh, better policies and, and safe practices for food, people at risk for food allergy reactions. And uh, I just can't say enough about how what an important role they play uh, to help those patients we look after with these food allergies. Excellent. And Professor Dutois, anything to add? I agree wholeheartedly with, with Dr. Ellis. They, they provide amazing resources for our patients. Many of these groups also um, sponsor and support research, and if they're not doing that uh, materially, they certainly are able to access patient groups so that when we design trials and we need to take these out um, um, to patient groups, they have access to such groups and guide guide us and make sure that uh, current research is, is relevant for patients and answers their questions. And 
by and large, the support that they offer to, to us, to all, all the detail um, they, they issue, and again, uh, the resources that these advocacy groups um, provide are, are absolutely wonderful. Wonderful. Well, considering just how far-reaching the impacts of living with a food allergy can be, it's great to know that there's support and resources available to these patients. And I'd really like to thank my guests, Dr. Anne Ellis and Professor George Dutois, for joining me to discuss the importance of advocacy groups. Dr. Ellis and Professor Dutois, it was wonderful having you both on the program. Thank you for being here. It was a pleasure. Thank you very much. Thank you. The preceding program was brought to you through an independent educational grant from Amune Therapeutics. To access other episodes in this series, visit ReachMD.com slash peanut allergies. This is ReachMD. Be part of the knowledge.